tonight. We welcome everybody that's joined us wherever you're at around the globe. Any of you that'll get this podcast, and all of you that have uh, participated in the Word, uh, we love the Word of God around here, and we do most of this expositorily, so we appreciate you joining us. We're going to pray and invite the Holy Spirit in here, because I'm useless without Him, <laughs> but so are you, so it's both sides of the street. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for sending your Son to die in our place. We thank you for your Word. Psalm 138 says you've magnified your word above your name. Wow. So we esteem, we know that Jesus was the word made flesh and dwelt among us. So we understand there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Spirit, and the Word, which is Jesus. We, we celebrate your word. We know that the earth was created by your word. We know that the world is held together by your word. We know that... Everything stems from the Word, and we honor that here in this place. We thank you, Lord, for all the goodness. Every good and perfect gift has come from you. Nothing we have have we gotten on our own. Paul said to each one of us, Lord, which one of you have anything you did not receive? So we're grateful and we're humbled that you care about us and that you take care of us and that we couldn't exist without you. It's because your mercies are new every day. And we celebrate that here today in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's look at Exodus 25, back to verse 23. Talking about the table of showbread. And let's just go ahead and shoot that up here, Andrew, uh, so we can kind of, and we're going to come back to this with this. This is our... Uh, something I've created years ago. We've hopefully perfected it over time. Uh, this I didn't create the model, but this is our own rendition of that for the purpose of prayer time. And we'll come back to that later. But these are the things we've been talking about. We're talking about the table of showbread. And uh, you can see that God was intentional how he laid all this out with Moses there and he told him to make it according to the pattern of the one in heaven and so you can see the cross clearly there with the furniture the way it's laid out and the gate uh, or the entrance in the burnt offering uh, the altar burnt offering the laver the showbread which we're going to read about the menorah or the candlestick the altar of incense and then of course the ark of the covenant behind the veil So let me read a little bit to you, and then we'll come back and work with this a little bit here in just a minute. You shall also uh, make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, a cubit its and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around. You shall make for it a frame of hand breadth all around. You shall make a gold molding for the frame all around. You shall make for it four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that are at its four legs. The rings shall be close to the frame as holders for the poles to bear the table. Uh, <clears throat> you shall make the poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold, that the table may be carried with them. You shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers, uh, its bowls for pouring. You shall make them of pure gold, and you shall set uh, showbread on the table before me always." Let me say a couple of things here. The gold, of course, represents deity. God's, this is God's house. 
the, the rings and the poles were for the staves. If you remember, when they went to get the Ark of the Covenant, <clears throat> David was so excited. He, if you read the history of all that, he's going to put it in his backyard. That's why he wanted God's presence. He, he coveted God's presence. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. And he's all excited, and they're bringing it in on a cart, which was a no-no. They were supposed to put the staves in the rings. The priests were supposed to carry the ark. And not only the ark, but all the pieces of furniture were designed that way. They were supposed to be borne up on the priest's shoulders. And there's a lesson in that. Uzzah, the cart's about to fall over. Or excuse me, the ark's about to fall off. Uzzah sticks his hand out. Uzzah, Uzzah, right? There's three ways to say a word. Your way, my way, and the right way. Uzzah or Uzzah, however you want to say that. Steady tries to steady the ark, God drops him dead. Seems a little cruel, right? But they were disobeying. Zeal without knowledge is costly. And we see that a lot of times. People, I'm just going to run and do it. No, you need to sit down, talk with God. And that's one of the beautiful things. Remember we were studying Samuel a year or so ago. One of the things of all the stuff that all the stunts that David pulled and all the battles he had, he was so good about checking with God. I mean, that was he was a master at that. He would just kid, and when he messed up, he'd run to God. He he was a great about sticking close to God. And so these these staves and these rings were for a purpose, and we see the illustration of that. God it cost us his life because the priest hadn't stepped up and done, and David hadn't done enough research or talked to the priest. However that went down, they just decided that they would do it and not do it the proper way. Now, God is a God of uh, order. So when Noah got ready to build the ark, God told him how long to make it, how tall to make it. He told him what to make it out of. And this freelancing stuff has really cost the church. And we just, it's a good idea. I don't care how good of an idea it is. If God's not sanctioned it, you need to throw it in the trash. I want to say something that you all know I say from time to time. God don't need your ideas. And he don't need mine. Are, do you think there's ever a time where God's looked down here and elbowed Jesus sitting at his right hand saying, Look what Matthew thought of. Why didn't we think of that? That don't happen. God really needs people to obey His Word. We want to run around and come up with ideas for God and have a blue team and a red team instead of just doing what He's already given us to do. And so, God, you and I are never going to come up with something that God has not already thought about. God really needs us to follow his instruction. And these guys in the Bible, that's what they were good at most of the time. Following his instruction. That's one time they weren't. And it's very costly when they didn't follow God's instruction. I had a guy who came to me several years ago. He was a missionary. He still is a missionary in Jordan. Very wonderful guy. He's called to be a missionary in Jordan. And uh, he come to me and he said, man, I'm just not having any fruit. And I appreciated his transparency and his honesty. He said, 
my wife and I and our children, we're over there and we're just not having any fruit. And he said, we're trying to do this and we're trying to do that. And I said, well, you know how I am, so I'm going to give you very simple instruction. I said, why don't you go back to Jordan and start teaching them God's Word instead of trying to have parties and, and popcorn nights. He called me six months later and he said, it's exploded. I feel the Lord right now. God is not obligated to honor nothing except this. He's not obligated to honor all my ideas and my visions. If my ideas and visions line up with His Word, that's another thing. And so He called me rejoicing. He said, people are coming in. He said, some of them are standing outside the house now when we couldn't get anybody to show up. I said, that's because God honors His Word. He don't honor our programs your program may or may not be a good thing, but God will always honor this. And that's why we need to make sure we stick with that. And they, David and Uzzah, of course Uzzah was gone, but David and the people, they learned a valuable lesson that day. That we better do things the way God's told us to do them. And <clears throat> that's why a lot of churches are out of order, because they don't do the order that God's told them in the Scripture. <clears throat> they made the church a democracy. But that's not how God runs a theocracy. And he says, you shall make its dishes. So in the next thing, he says, the lampstand. You also shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work, its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs, its flowers of one piece. Six branches shall come out of each side, three branches out of the lampstand of one side, the three branches of the lampstand on the other side. Three bowls shall be like the almond blossoms, one branch with an ornamental knob and a flower, and the bowls made uh, almond blossoms on the other branch with ornamental knob and the flower. This almond was the first tree to blossom in Israel. So it's a sign of life, the first sign of life in Israel, the, uh, the almond tree. And the six branches, of course, seven is perfection. That's one of God's, probably God's favorite number is seven, completion. So for the six branches that come out of the lampstand, on the lampstand itself four bowls will be made like the almond blossoms, with each with its ornamental knob and flower, each with a knob under the first two branches of the same, the knob under the second two branches of the same, the knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand. Their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece. It shall be one hammered piece of gold. That's pretty awesome. Now if you'll go back and read, God gifted men to work with gold. In fact, when we start talking about the priest garments, the high priest garments, they, in Israel, they beat gold so fine when they started making that high priest garment, they were able to sew with it as thread. That's amazing. And we think we're smart because we got a cell phone. And he says, their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece. It shall be of one hammered piece of pure gold. That's pretty awesome. You shall make seven lamps for it. Shall arrange its lamps and they shall give light in front of it. And the wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold. And, and with its use, these utensils, uh, see to it that you make them according to the pattern which uh, was shown you on the mount. So he's going to do it. Now I'm, I'm going to pull up my Bible app because I want to read you something here. Um, let's see, I want to find this psalm. 
that I want to read to you. Um, because it means something what what we're doing here. Uh, um, And you've probably maybe not thought about this or maybe you have if you're a studier. Yeah. Let's hold you we'll come back to Exodus in just a moment and we'll get our let's go to Psalm 134. Uh, this is a um, something I want to show you so you can uh, be blessed by it. Psalm 134, <clears throat> I, I remember what it talks about, I couldn't remember which psalm it was, uh, is an interesting psalm. It says, praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, praise Him, O you servants of the Lord, you who stand in the house of the Lord in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to His name, for it is pleasant. These guys stood in the house of the Lord around the clock. You remember when uh, John the Baptist? Psalm 134. Was I in Psalm? Oh, I meant to do... Psalm 134, I jumped ahead because it's little. Psalm 135 goes along with it. So let me back up. Behold, bless the Lord, all you servants, in Psalm 134. Bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. The Lord who made heaven and earth bless you from Zion. Let's go on into Psalm 135 because there were no chapters originally. So this thought needs to go on. Praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, praise Him, O you servants of the Lord, you who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of the Lord. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to His name, for it is pleasant. What I wanted to show you here is how they're talking about to these people who are in the house of the Lord. And the Psalm 134 specifically mentions those who are there by night. So you had the priest working around the clock. Go ahead and shoot that model back up here. You had the priest working around the house of the Lord. If you remember, they were on 30 days, and then they rotated off, if you've studied about them. And that's where John the Baptist's father was at when the angel came to him and said, you're going to have a son. And Elizabeth was barren, remember? And similar story to like Abraham and Sarah. And he don't believe it, right? He, he's like, you know, kind of talking like Abraham did. And then he's not allowed to speak he can't speak anymore. Imagine being a preacher and not be able to talk, you know. So he's not allowed to speak till the baby's born, right? Because he uh, kind of didn't believe at first. But he's working in the temple. So this bread that we just read about had to be kept there fresh continually. And then this menorah couldn't go out. So these guys... These priests were working around the clock, and you weren't allowed to go to sleep if you were working the night shift. I read something one time where there would be a priest assigned with a prod to go around and make sure everybody was staying awake at their post. Because 
you God was would not allow the oil was not allowed to go out and the showbread had to be kept there. All that stuff had to be going on round the clock. And so these it was a three shift thing that went on in the tabernacle. Now, if I can show you something here on my board, let me show you how the how the world has changed. Uh, this is how the world works now with me in the center and everything revolves around me. That's how we live in our culture. I'm not saying you and I necessarily do that, but that's how the world lives, right? I'm in the center of my world. Everything revolves around me. My job, God, whatever, right? But that wasn't how Israel was taught to live. Israel was taught to live with God in the center and everything was to revolve around that. And when they got that out of whack, that's when they got in trouble. That's why our nation's been in trouble for a lot of years. Because especially in the 1920s, we started drifting away and started making life about us instead of God. So God, basically the priesthood... Sorry, Andrew, let's go back and forth. Let's go back to this model. The priesthood kept this uh, tabernacle. Basically, they were there keeping God happy. Right? If I, I say that another way, I would. But they were there to keep God happy and to keep his stuff going. The priesthood were set apart. They didn't own any land. They didn't have other jobs. They were set apart just to wait upon the Lord. That's all. They were there to attend to the Lord. Because if God was first, if he was attended to first then he caused everything else to go right. Their crops didn't fail, the, their offspring from their livestock and their own families. God blessed all of that. As long as God was the center of their life. Now, if you want to break that down, sure, our nation's drifted far away from that in many ways since the 20s, 1920s, and we're getting worse. But the whole world's done that. But you could, you could probably even look at families. Maybe you knew families years ago that really walked with God, and they kind of drifted, and now their children and their grandchildren don't give a hoot about God, right? And, and so they're just drifting because God is no longer the center of their life, right? And over time, uh, UK basketball became more important than church or whatever. I don't mean to pick on any one thing, but uh, basketball in Lexington is almost like a God. You know, if you've lived in Kentucky, you know that. Uh, so... Whatever it is that they've let become the center of their life. Some people it's career, money, whatever. So as long as God was in the center of Israel's life, they, everything went right. So they separated, God had them separate the Levites and they attended to God. They weren't allowed to have other jobs. They weren't even allowed to have land. God just set them apart, right? Now... What's interesting, when I left the coal mines to go into the ministry full-time, I left a really good job, and I made $90 a week to go full-time. I wasn't doing so well. <laughs> but God always took care of every little detail. He, he came through so many times. But what's unusual about that, for my, for my personal, is part of my wife's family didn't even believe preachers should be paid. <laughs> so I had a little bit of a tussle there. Especially when I left the mines with a really good job and went into ministry full-time and didn't make enough money hardly to pay for gas. 
But God has always shown up. He called me out to step out as an act of faith. But God wants His stuff attended to first. Now, is it because He's egotistical? No, it's not because He's egotistical. It's because that's how the sight. You can't love anything more than me, Jesus said, and be my disciple. He said, you can't, you can't be mine and you've got to hate your mother, father, and we know that word means to love less. We love them less, brother, sister, son, or daughter. We have to love them less than we do God. So God, when God's the center, everything goes well, right? So you, what do you need to make God the center of? Everything. Everything. When Israel went in the promised land, most theologians believe they had ten main conquests. The first conquest was Jericho. That, all the tithe, all the gold, all the silver was supposed to be brought to God, right? That's making Him first, right? The first fruits of the promised land, God said, you give me the tithe off the promised land, bring me everything that comes out of Jericho, and you can have the rest. But for Achan, that wasn't good enough. You know that story. So whatever it is, you need to make God the center of it. We're doing ourselves a big favor when God is the center of it. Of our lives. Now, we're working our way out of the tabernacle. So these guys stood in there by night, and that's where John the Baptist was working when he, uh, when he came out and had all that no noise, <laughs> or news, I should say. He, he didn't have any noise because he couldn't talk. So back to chapter 26, Moreover, she shall make a tabernacle with ten curtains of fine woven linen, blue, purple, and the scarlet thread, with artistic designs, cherubim, you shall weave them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits, and the width of each curtain shall be four, and every one of the curtains shall have the same measurements. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and five curtains shall be coupled to one another. You shall make the loops of blue yarn, and on the edge, and the curtain of the selvage on one set, and likewise you shall do on the outer edge of the other curtain, the second set. Fifty loops you shall make one uh, into one curtain and the 50 loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is on the end of the second set that the loops may be clasped to one another you shall make 50 clasped gold couple and curtains together and clasped so that one will be in the tavern now you're going to run across people that tell you about your own life God don't care about that stuff yes he does he cares about every detail of our life you can ask God about everything I would suggest that. I would suggest being like David, checking with God. He was good about checking with God. God does care about everything. God cares about every detail in our life. And so you see that here, right? You see, you shall make the curtains of goat's hair, the tent over the tabernacle. You shall make 11 curtains. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits. The width of each curtain, four cubits. The 11 curtains shall have the same measurement. When we freelance on God and just come up with ideas, see, God don't need your ideas. He don't need mine either. He needs us just to do what He's told us in here. You're never gonna, I'm never going to think of something God's not already come up with. That's not how this works. And it, we would do well, instead of freelancing, to get in the Word and, and follow His Word. He says, you shall couple five curtains by themselves, six curtains by themselves. You shall double over the sixth curtain, the forefront of the tent. You shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain, the outermost in one set, 50 loops on the edge of the curtain. 
you shall make 50 bronze clasps. Now you see these metals represent judgment, deity, redemption. Anytime you read about silver, he's talking about redemption. But the class of loops, the couple of tent, it shall be one. The remnant of the remains of the curtains of the tent and the half curtain of the remains shall hang over the back of the tabernacle and a cubit on one side and a cubit on the other side that remains of the length of the curtains of the tent shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on the side on one side to cover it. You shall also make a covering of ram skin dyed red. We know what red represents. The blood, the sacrifice, the cleansing, and the covering of badger skins above that. Now, there are a lot of theologians believe that this badger skin is actually porpoise skin because it was waterproof, <clears throat> something that was waterproof. And, uh, and for the tabernacle, you shall make the boards of acacia wood uh, standing upright. Ten cubits shall be the length of the board, and the cubit of the half shall be the width of each board. Two tenons shall be each board, the binding one of another. Thus you shall make for the boards of the tabernacle. Now, when you read the Bible... And see how specific God is with all things. With the ark, when they were building, when Noah was building the ark, Abraham, how he led him, Paul, and his missionary journeys, not leaving anything to chance. Now, the reason it's important to stay in tune with God and to do what He's asked you to do, if you, if you, two guys stand out. Paul, Paul's on a missionary journey, right? If you're going to go lead people to Christ. In your mind, in my mind, I'm thinking I need to hit everybody in front of me, right? But when Paul was going on his missionary journey, he got to one city and the Lord said, go around this city. Do not go in. Now that natural man would say, well, that don't make sense. They're lost in there too. But God said, and God has his reasons for doing that. What about hearing God the second time? The first thing God said was, you go take Abraham up or you take Isaac up and sacrifice him. What if Abraham hadn't listened to God the second time? And he said, don't kill your son. So that's important for us to get that instruction. He's very specific. God is way more specific than we give him credit for because we don't want to take time to listen. That's our problem. It is about obedience, right. And which, I, I keep coming back to this, but who... In the world's got a better idea for something than God does. <laughs> None of us do. He's laid it out in here. He's, he's laid everything out. So it is about obedience. It's about being a good son and daughter uh, of the Lord. And so it's important for us. <clears throat> Listen, when I first got in the ministry, I was sharing that this morning. When I first got in the ministry, I tried getting in the pulpit one time without spending time with God. And it was horrible. If there would have been a crack in the floor of that church where I could have went through it and crawled out from under there and got out there, I would have. But it was a good lesson to learn 30-some years ago because I vowed never again will I get in a pulpit without spending time with God. <clears throat> because I was miserable. And at the back door when I was shaking hands with people, they were telling me what a good job I'd done. I was gritting my teeth thinking, you are lying right through. You are lying to me. As I felt the weight of that, I realized that I had, And I had an old timer say, say to me, if you've not spent enough time in prayer through the week, you ain't got no business getting in God's pulpit. It ain't about handing off knowledge. It's about seasoned 
knowledge. It's about being in tune with the Holy Spirit because he knows who's in the crowd. I don't know what any of you went through this week already, unless you've told me. But the Holy Spirit, I stand at that door sometimes and people say to me, I appreciate you saying that. And I'm, I'm like, I didn't say that. The Holy Spirit said that to you. He may have took what I said and revelated. That's, that's the difference between Logos and Rhema. The two words in the New Testament that are used for the word, the word Logos is the written word. It's the word that you read off the page. But a rhema is the word that's been revelated to you. Have you read the Bible before and you think, I never saw that before. But it was revelated to you for that moment, for that season, for that time, and it come alive in you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And that's what He desires to do in all of us. So He's very specific. He wants to be specific. You're not just a gunslinger. You're not just, you and I are not just freelancers. We need to spend time with God. <clears throat> this has really been coming out lately. <clears throat> there are, in, the, in, the, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Right? That word diligent, if you look at it in the English language, you'll, you, that'll be a little harder word than what's really being used there. You think if I'm going to be diligent to something, I'm going to stand in front of it all the time. It's not what God's saying there. God, that word in the Greek means to not neglect. God knows you have a family. He knows you have children. He knows you have responsibilities. He knows you have a job. God wants you to enjoy those things. He's not against you enjoying your life. But He does not want to be neglected. And that's what He's trying to say there in Hebrews. Now, if you go back to John 15, He uses the word meno there for abide. We translate that abide, that means to remain accessible, to stay there. So here's what God's looking for from you and I. He don't care if you go watch the Cincinnati Reds. God wants you to enjoy your family. But He don't want to be neglected and He wants you to abide where He's at. He don't, he, God's, God know, he gave, He's the one that told us to be fruitful and multiply. So you have children. I, I take care, they're all grown now and married off, but I've took care of my children. But just because I wasn't in front of their face every waking moment didn't mean I neglected them. You see what I, a lot of people will read that verse and think, oh my Lord, I can't live up to that. You know, I can't be in front of God all the time, constantly. Nobody can. But, and, and here's why, and we, I said this last night that, a lot of churches, when people were coming and getting born again and saved, they were getting loaded up like they had to be perfect. And the, the, the hypocrisy in all that was that the people that were praying with them for, neglected to tell them they weren't perfect. None of us are perfect. But what God wants is us to be available to Him and to not neglect Him. Now... If I didn't feed my children, if I didn't see that they had their needs met, that would be neglect. But I didn't sleep in my children's bedroom all night. I didn't walk and sit outside the school the whole day till they got out. But that's not neglecting them just because you're not in their face all the time. So that's really what God wants out of us. He wants us to make ourselves available and not neglect Him and then walk with Him. He, he's not against you enjoying your children. He's not against you having fellowship with other people. 
But God don't want to be neglected. And if we neglect God, then it'll be to our own hurt. Because nobody is more important in our lives than God is. And so the tabernacle, you shall make the boards of acacia wood. <clears throat> he said, ten cubits shall be the length of it in verse 16. The cubit and a half shall be of the width for each board. Two tenons shall be in each board for binding one another. Thus you shall make the boards of tabernacles, verse 18, and you shall make the boards for the tabernacle. Twenty boards for the south side, you shall make forty sockets of silver. So you got bronze, silver, and gold, deity, judgment, and redemption. Under the twenty boards, two sockets under each of the boards for the two tenons. For the second side of the tabernacle, the north side, there shall be twenty boards. There shall be forty sockets of silver, two sockets each under the boards, uh, under each of the boards. For the far side of the tabernacle, westward, you shall make six boards, and you shall make it, uh, two boards for the two back corners of the tabernacle. They shall be coupled together at the bottom, and at the and shall be coupled together at the top by one ring. <clears throat> Thus it shall be for both of them. They shall be for the corners, uh, be for the two corners. So, shall, so there shall be eight boards with their sockets of silver, 16 sockets, two sockets, under each of the boards. You shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on the side of the tabernacle, five bars for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle, five bars for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle, and for the side westward. The middle bar shall pass through the midst of the boards from end to end. You shall overlay it with the boards with gold, make their rings of gold and holders of bars, and overlay their bars with gold, and you shall raise up the tabernacle according to the pattern which you were shown in the mount. Now this wood... <clears throat> That's overlaid with gold is a picture of Christ. He took on humanity. He took on earth, earthiness, if I can make up a word. And he's also deity, God in the flesh. That's the story of the gospel, right? That God sent his son to take on flesh. He's still God in the flesh, the Bible says, Emmanuel, God with us. But he took on the natural side of man, came and dwelt with us, lived without sin. It's a beautiful thing. And I've, <clears throat> I've shared this before, but it was a greater sacrifice for God to send His Son than for Him to come Himself. Because what parent, if there was any suffering to be done, wouldn't take the place of their child? It's a no-brainer, right? If somebody comes and says, you or your son is going to die, then the dad's going to say, it's me. You're taking my life. So it was a greater sacrifice for God to send. He really did give us the greatest gift he had. Uh, I don't know if everybody knows Peter Lord, but Peter Lord was uh, running that circle with Bob Mumford and those guys. He said he was um, coming going to the airport to fly somewhere to speak. And he said that uh, he looked up on the billboard and it said the lottery was um, so many million. And he said, I told the Lord, he said, if you'd let me win that, Lord, he said, I could win a lot of souls with that. You know, he was trying to talk God into it, I guess. He said, if I thought money would save me and I'd have sent gold instead of my son. He shared that with us preachers at that meeting. I thought, man, that's sober, isn't it? Because here's, here's what we fall into in America. Family, church, or everybody. If we had more money, 
Just think what we could do. But that's not the key. If we had more of the Holy Spirit, if we had more of God's Word, if we had more input from the Lord, that's a game changer. He can get money out of the fish's mouth. So this tabernacle is all a representation of Jesus. His humanity shows his humanity clothed in deity. He is the Son of God. He is the Holy One. You shall make the veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet. <clears throat> Grace, royalty, and redemption with those colors. Blue, purple, and scarlet. Fine woven linen. It shall be woven in the artistic design of cherubim. You shall hang it upon the four pillars of the acacia wood overlaid with the gold. Their hooks shall be gold upon four sockets of silver. You shall hang the veil from its clasp. You shall bring the ark of the testimony in there. Behind the veil, the veil shall be divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. You shall put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy. You shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand across the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south. And you shall put the table on the north side. You shall make the screen for the door of the tabernacle woven of blue, purple, made by a weaver. You shall make four of the screen, uh, screen five pillars of acacia wood, overlay it with gold, and their hooks be gold, and you shall cast five sockets of bronze for them. Now, let me take you back to chapter, uh, well, earlier in chapter 25, we got the ark, the showbread, the lampstand coming out to the... Um, the curtain and all that's being put together now on the, the outside outer ring. Then you got the burnt offering out there. So we were watching this furniture, if you can put that back up. We're watching God design this, and He's coming, and there's a reason for this. He's coming from back here out. You remember I said the other day that God is at the front of the parade. He sees all the floats before they take off. That's why he knows the end from the beginning. We're scattered out along the route, right? You and I are. So we see something for the first time that God's seen a long time ago. Think of it in the concept of a parade, right? You're, you're sitting there, you're watching that float come by, and it's new to you, right? It's that moment. But God's, God's back at the back of the parade sending all that stuff down. It's a kind of a neat way to understand how his perspective comes. So God, man's out here, right? We're estranged from God. The Bible, Paul said we're enemies of the cross, and there's that cross. Everything, Jesus said, lo, it's written to me in the volume of the book. Everything's about Jesus. If you go to Genesis 1, that whole first chapter is about Jesus. We were supposed to be seeing Jesus in that chapter. We're supposed to see Jesus in Genesis, Exodus, like we're looking at right now. We're supposed to see Jesus. So when you look at Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says the earth was without form. It was void and darkness covered it, right? Then the Spirit moved and light came. That's salvation. You and I were without form. We're void inside. Darkness covers our lives. Then the Spirit moves, opens our eyes, and the light comes in. Jesus. That's, everything's about Jesus. From, and that's why when you read... I've told this before, but let me say it again because it's a good illustration. I was in Cincinnati a few couple of years ago meeting with Jews, Orthodox Jews. I'm friends. We, we are all in with Israel in this church. We're all behind them. If you don't bless Israel, you, you'll be cursed. So we support God's chosen people. So I was having a meeting with some of them. And it really, 
ministers to them that Christians love them because they've been one of the most persecuted groups in the history of the world. Well, and so, so we were talking, and he, he was telling me, he said, can't you understand, this is what he's saying, I'd listen mostly until I got my chance, but he, he said, can't you understand that we've been told all our life that Moses, believe what Moses said, he was a man of God, and, and he was, right? He said, and then a guy comes along and says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. He said, do you understand why it's hard for us to grasp? I said, I, I understand that. But that's why the Holy Spirit, who I believe Apostle Paul was responsible for pinning down the book of Hebrews, but the Holy Spirit's really responsible. That's not Paul's word. It's the Holy Spirit's word. That's why Hebrews was written, because of those, that very thing. He said, yeah, Moses was good, but there's one greater, right? Joshua was good, but he couldn't give them rest. There's one greater that gives that rest. So all that stuff <clears throat> Paul was addressing, who was a Jew himself, and so he gave me that spiel, and I finally, I said, have you ever thought about Joseph? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, Joseph was sold for silver. Jesus was sold for silver. I said, Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. Jesus was betrayed by his brothers. Joseph took a, a Gentile bride, and I went into all that stuff that, about Joseph, all the parallels of how the Egyptians named him Zerapapaneh, which meant Savior of the world. That's what the Egyptians called Joseph. And I, I went through all that. I said, he had a special coat. He was loved by his father. Jesus had a special cloak, tunic. He, they wouldn't divide it. It was unique because it was no seam, right? I said, look at all the parallels between Jesus and Joseph. Have you ever thought about that? And he got up from the table. He got his hat his coat and his scarf, it was wintertime. And he said, I never have. And he walked out the door. <laughs> but the seed was planted, right? The point I want to make to you is, everything's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Everything in the Bible is to point us to Jesus. That's why it was such a tragedy when he came and stood on the steps of the Jewish tabernacle and they didn't recognize him. But... Theologically, they were blinded for our sakes, Romans 11, right? I understand that, right? We, we, there's deeper stuff going on than, uh, than what we all, sometimes we forget. So God started his discourse here with us by coming from the inside out. If God hadn't come to us, we would have never made it to him. He opened the door. He gave us mercy that we didn't deserve. The Bible says mercy triumphs over judgment. I read some Jewish history that when that veil, which was massive, when that veil was rent from top to bottom, when Jesus died, they said the Jews went in and tried to sew it back up because they had, they had their own system. They were blinded. For our sakes. And so he come out to us. This tabernacle is a picture of everything Jesus is and has done for us, right? He is the sacrifice. He is the water, the living water. He is the bread that comes from heaven. He illuminates our lives. He is the sweet-smelling Savior that has pleased the Father so that we have access. And he is, it was his blood that was on the Ark of the Covenant. He is the law of God. He kept the law of God. He is the budding rod of Aaron. 
And if you go to the book of John, the gospel of John, there's a mercy seat in there. First that which is natural, then that which is spiritual, Paul said. When you go and the stone was rolled away, they looked in and there was two angels, one on each end, just like that mercy seat, and the blood-stained garments, just like the blood would have been poured out there. And they said, he ain't here. <laughs> Anybody feel that inside of me? He's not here. That's our mercy seat. You know why the empty tomb's our mercy seat? Because Paul said, if he's not risen, our hope's in vain. That's, that mercy seat was a type and a shadow of the mercy seat that really got us, bailed us out. And so, this is all beautiful picture of Christ, but it's also what the Lord showed me about 20 years ago, and we've been using ever since, is it's, it's how we come before God. And I'm going to close here and remind you of this. The Bible says, Come into His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. You can't even get in without giving thanks and giving praise. Somebody said, yeah, but I've sinned. I want to repent first. No, you need to be giving thanks that you even have a place to repent. The first thing ought to come out of our mouth is how thankful we are when we go before God. We ought to give Him thanks and then start praising Him, right? And then if you've got any sin or something between you and God, you can repent for it right here at this burnt offering. Why would you do that after you get in? Because the rest of this stuff, you don't want any of that to be hindered. So you want to be able to hear God's voice clearly. Now most people's prayer life, and this is why they're disappointed in their prayer life and can't pray more than 90 seconds, is because they come in here and they skip all these furniture and they run straight to the prayer petition, the altar of incense, and they tell God what they think He ought to be doing. They skip all the rest of this. And then they go out disappointed and think, why can't I get any of my prayers answered? And then I've, I've talked to people year after year. Well, I can't spend, I, I run out of things to say after two minutes. <laughs> well, shut up. <laughs> Come in here, give Him thanks and praise. If you'll do that correctly, that'll take more than two minutes. If you'll start thanking God, and I'm one of those simple people I thank God for my truck. I thank Him for my shoes. I don't take anything for granted. I thank Him for food. I thank Him for my wife. And I hope she does the same thing when she prays. But I thank Him for little things. I'm that simple-minded because I've never left that thing Jesus said. He said, if you want to receive the kingdom, you're going to need to be like little children. And I'm trying to keep that. And so then I've got repenting to do from time to time and I need God to... Forgive me for things. That may take a, a moment or two, depending on how much you've got to repent. You may spend an hour and a half there. I don't know. Then you wash yourself. Paul said we're sanctified by the washing of the water of the Word. So we wash ourselves with the Word of God, right? That's how we're sanctified. So there you speak the Scripture over you. I am made the righteousness of Christ. I am a son of the God. I belong to the Lord. Wash yourself with His Word. Sanctify yourself. You're sanctified by the washing of the water of the Word. And this laver had a place to wash their feet and their hands, right? So they would have, after they sacrificed, the priest would be bloody and he would be covered from his neck down to his feet and to the bottoms of his arms. This is where he would cleanse that. And this laver, if you'll remember when they made this, 
it was made, the bottom of it was made with the women's mirrors. They had to, it was a great sacrifice, right? They had to bring their mirrors. And so when the priest would go over there, he would see himself when he looked in there until he washed the blood off of his hands. And he could no longer see himself. All he could see is the blood. That's how God sees us. When we get born again, when we're saved, redeemed, whatever you want to call it, that's what the Lord sees. The blood of Jesus covers us. Then you, I, I call it having a cup of coffee with God. Go out there, be honest with God. He knows everything anyway. Just be real with Him. Have a cup of coffee with God. Talk about everything. Let the Holy Spirit get involved and illuminate you. You've took this journey. Let the Holy Spirit get involved before you go pray because James said you pray, but you pray amiss because you pray self-centered. If you'll go through this journey and let the Holy Spirit illuminate you, when you go to pray, you'll pray according to God's will instead of just praying what you want to pray. I learned this lesson years ago when I was on the creek bank. I wasn't in the ministry full time at this time. But I always, I was getting ready. So I, when I got home from the coal mines, I went to the creek bank every day to pray. And I was down there praying for a part of my family whom I love dearly, but they were estranged from God. And uh, they were very blessed in so many ways, but they had just kind of walked out on God. And I was praying and I was being kind of religious, I guess. I said, Lord, bless them. Lord, I just praying and I was, they was part of my prayer. And it was like I run into a wall. And the Lord said, bless them. I have blessed them. He said, you need to pray that I'll break them. Now that's a hard prayer to pray if it's somebody you love. But if you're in tune with the Holy Spirit, He may have you pray something different than what you had planned. And so we need to be led by the Lord in every facet of our life. Amen. So this tabernacle's got a lot for us to teach us. And there's so many things we can see with this. The picture of Christ, a picture of man coming to God, a picture of God coming to man, time to pray. If you'll, if you'll use that as a prayer model, you'll spend time with God. Your prayer life will grow. If you'll start using that as a, as a way to hang out with God, you'll, it'll start, you'll wake up. Wake up. <laughs> Sometimes we do fall asleep, right? But you'll get up from praying. And you'll think, man, I've been here 25 minutes instead of two. Because you gave God praise. You did the things to spend time with Him. You had a cup of coffee with Him. Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for the time we've had together. We ask You to bless us and minister to us. Help us to be more like You as we leave here today. And we thank You, Lord, that You've not left us to ourselves. That heaven and earth will pass away. We believe soon, but your word will not. So we want to be found rooted and grounded in your word. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen.